Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. You can call me bad. And along with me is my good friend. His name is Tony Defio. Tony and I have been doing this together for a long time now. We started off on Blog Talk Radio. Here we are now on anything that you're going to stream on. And we're feeling good about it. So make sure you go and download those shows. But we're really excited for the fact that now that Behind the Steel Curtain has a morning format, you check out Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And now on Tuesday mornings, you're checking out the Steeler Retro Show. And then on Thursdays, you've got the Stat Geek. So five days a week, that morning commute is so much better with BTSC for everything that you need, Pittsburgh Steelers. Tony Defio, I am so glad to be alongside you once again, over the airways, in your speakers, through your headphones, through your AirPods, whatever you listen to us on, it's Tony and Brian, and as our good friend Big Marv calls us, the Beastie Boys are back. (laughs) Hey Brian, good to be with you on this Tuesday morning. I am so excited about today's show. This is one of my favorite games in Steeler history, one of my favorite seasons, and one of my fondest memories. So, you know, Tony and I are roughly the same age i think i think we talked about this before i think we're about maybe about 30 days apart in age if i'm not mistaken um i was born in december of 71 early part of december and i think you were like january or were you late late december i am may 72 oh okay so we are six we are about six months apart but uh we grew up around the same things and tony and i have a great fondness for the 80s and a lot of you uh don't remember how cool the 80s were. I mean, you just came off of the 70s seasons and you came off of four Super Bowls, which actually could have been six um, with everything they did there. But those guys from the 70s, the Steel Curtain guys, they were all getting older and Chuck Noll was still there. And people were saying that Chuck Noll was pretty much at the end of the road. He still had a couple more seasons left. But by the end of the 80s, they were like, all right, time has passed them by. Then 1989 comes along. And tonight we're going to party like it's... 1989. 1989. I know it's not the song, but we got to take it for ourselves. And this was a big party night when this game happened. Because this game happened on December 31st of 1989. The very last day of... My favorite decade, the 1980s. The very last day whatsoever. I had just turned 18. I know, Tony, you were closing in on it. I had graduated mm-hmm. high school when I was actually in college um, at the time at the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown. And we were going to a party that night. But before we went to that party, the major thing that I... All I cared about, I didn't care about the party. I didn't care about the uh, ladies that were going to be at the party. I didn't care about the uh, the beverages that were going to be at the party. I didn't care about anything. All I cared about was the fact that a team that went 0-2 in their first two games of the season to a combined score of what, Tony? Do you remember the combined score? Uh, boy, do I ever. 92-10, to 10, including 51 nothing against the Browns at home and 41-10 to 10 against the Bengals at, on the road. It was really quite the nightmare. Oh, it, it was awful. And the fact that that team, that was a very Cinderella-like team. And uh, watching the rebroadcast, Marv Albert 
was uh, doing the broadcast and he was talking about, he was comparing the Steelers to Cinderella and finding the glass slipper. And it, it was really cool. And, but I've talked about that a while ago, a couple years ago, I wrote my throwback Thursday article on this and you know, this team, this Steelers team, they just defied all logic. They, they really should have been a lot worse than they were actually, actually were. So they started out 0-2. Then they were playing a team that was in the NFC Championship game the, the uh, season before. The Minnesota Vikings were very good that year. And they're playing the Vikings, and they were, they were home underdogs, which it's hard to be a home underdog. They really were right. a home underdog in this game. I was at that, at that game, actually. You were? Yeah, it was one of the uh, – it was only the second game I had ever been to, my uncle and I. And, and like you said, the, the Vikings were – they were NFC favorites that year. And I think that, that, was, that, that was the year that they would ultimately wind up with Herschel Walker. So there were a lot of uh, big things uh, expected of the Vikings and not so much of the, from the Steelers heading into that game. I mean, they coming off a of five uh, – an 11 record the year before and then the 0-2 start. So – we, we we came by those tickets pretty easily. I got to make a confession. I never saw that game. I'm going to go back and watch it. I've never, and that's, in fact, that's the next game that I go back and watch. Mm-hmm. The reason I never saw that game is because of a girl. Fair I enough. Was, uh, I, and I don't do that now. I don't do that often, but I, uh, I think this girl I was dating, her grandmother, or, or uh, was having a birthday party, or it was an anniversary party, or something, something, something. Um, I know it was a party. Um, I know I did not want to be there. All I know is that I was missing the game, and I might have caught one or two plays. I, I tried to sneak away, and she caught me, because she knew I was going into the TV, and she caught me. <laughs> uh, so that should have been a sign right there. But, um, you know... I never got to see that game, but I saw the highlights and I was like, hmm, wow, I, I don't think it's going to mean anything. That was such, such a weird up and down fun season. You get to, the team gets to eight and seven. And what day is it? It's Christmas Eve. Yes. Christmas Eve. It was week 16 back then because the bye year didn't start until the next year, until 1990. So there wasn't a bye week. And they're playing. Do you remember who they're playing? They were playing in Tampa Bay against the uh, the Buccaneers, and it was a. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a snow game, right? No, no, there was. I I don't think there was snow in that game. Oh, okay. I thought I thought it was bad weather, but in Tampa, but I thought so, but I could be wrong. I, you I, know, I, there, I, there was a Floridian nightmare that year. Um, as far as uh, weather when the Steelers were playing in uh, November, I believe it was. Oh, yeah, against yeah, yeah. the Dolphins. Exactly, yeah. And there's a My- very famous picture of Mike Malarkey sliding about 10 yards. Um, the Steelers won that game. That's a, a big win for them that year. Yeah. But, no, I think the weather was pretty good for the Tampa game. So, do you remember all the things that had to happen for the Steelers to make the playoffs that year? I do. They, Of course, they had to win. And then they needed three other teams to lose on the final weekend. They needed the Raiders to lose. Or I'm sorry, to lose. They needed the Raiders to lose. They needed the Colts to lose. And they needed the uh, their division rivals, the AFC champions, defending AFC champion Bengals, to lose on Monday night football. 
and on Christmas night. Yeah, and it all happened. And if I may, that 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 year, they speaking speaking of the odds, people talk about that that, that final weekend and need, needing those three teams to lose, and that was a big a big deal. But they were they were the Steelers, meaning were one and five in their division. Uh, three of their wins came against the NFC, so they weren't going to win any tiebreakers with their AFC record. And and the the Bengals were five and one in the division. It was such a crazy year. Uh, and uh, as you said, they they overcame so many such long odds just to get to, into the playoffs. And it's funny because you got to think of it this way: Cleveland won the division that year. Then you had, and only five teams made the playoffs. Yeah. Cleveland wins the division. You have the Oilers, who are the uh, second seed in there, um, the first wild card. Um, but they were second in the division. Then you have the Steelers, who ended up being the sixth seed. But it was either going to be the – at the very end, it was going to be either the Steelers or Bengals, whoever right. wins that game. Right. So that's how good or – how top heavy that entire division was. Let's call it top heavy because I don't know how good it was. It well, was the, just, you have no crappy teams though. Well, it was such, I, I think that, that year, 89, I think that was, uh, that personified Pete Rosell, the late commissioner, one of the most visionary guys the, uh, the, the NFL has ever seen. The guy that basically created parody. I mean, he had to love that year because only one team in the AFC finished with with double digit wins, and that was the Broncos at eleven and five. And the other four playoff teams had nine wins. It was absolutely amazing. Well, I got to tell you, it it really was. And the Steelers were there at the end, and they had some ugly games in between. Um, they lost some. They lost an ugly game to uh, I remember Denver. I believe they did. They play San Francisco. That no, I think that was the next year, but. They had some really crazy games that year. Yeah. Um, that it was just a very memorable season. So we're going to talk about that season. And we're going to talk about that season right after this. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. And we're going to get into this epic game. Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is my good friend, Tony Defio. Tone Def in the house. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. Good to talk to you again. I, I am really enjoying, I, I enjoyed the first half of our show, and I, I can't wait to really dive into things in the second half. I feel like that intro music that we have coming in and out of commercials, the Jerry Cherry Band, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? It is. It is. It like we, we call ourselves heel wrestlers, the Beastie Boys, and, we, and now we have our own music. I love it. Yeah, I mean, Jeff started that, and uh, he said, hey, you pick a Jerry Cherry song, and we picked Freak Show. Great song. So, Jerry, thank you very much. Um, really good stuff. Check out uh, Jerry Cherry Band. He has his own uh, YouTube channel. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. I like his music a lot. And where did we find Jerry? He's a live chat fan of the BTSC family of podcasts, so he's one of us. So, thank you, Jerry. So, Let's go back. Let's set the time circuits to the BTSC Black and Gold DeLorean, Tony. What do you say? Let's go back to a time when the hit song on the radio was Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. 
that was also that's the song that knocked out we didn't start the fire from number one so that was two huge songs right in a row movie theaters were going crazy and still enjoying the exploits of the griswolds in christmas vacation and the yen was getting destroyed in japan poland had just eliminated socialism right at this time december 31st 1989 but most of us were excited about the steelers and excited about a new decade the 1990s were upon us so it was pretty exciting you also had this was just probably a week away from uh, all the daniel noriega stuff down in panama as well with uh with uh u.s forces playing uh they were playing Metallica and Megadeth outside of his headquarters <laughs> down there to, to bring them out. So, yeah. so it was a really crazy time in the news. Um, really crazy time to be a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. It was also improbable to uh, for that team to make the playoffs. We talked about the fact that they lost the first two games a combined 92 to 10. This Houston team, though, led by Gary Granville. You know why I'm calling him Gary Granville and not <laughs> Jerry Glanville? That was uh, how the Three River Stadium PA ad- an- announcer ad- uh, pronounced his name back when he first started in, in uh, was 87, 86. Well, they did, they did that on purpose after uh, Chuck Noll hated Jerry Glanville. Made oh, yeah. no bones about it. He even like went as far as almost pointed to his, ch- uh, pointed him and poked him in the chest. Um, so they had, so uh, Jerry Glanville, who was actually a pretty funny guy, he liked to screw with Chuck Noll. Um, he was a controversial guy. He liked to mess with them. Um, right. There was, and throw in the fact that these two teams had some great battles in that time. Um, the the Steelers with a horrible 1988 team beat them at the end of that season in 1988, which really actually messed up the Steelers because they could have had a higher draft pick if they lost a, if they didn't go three and one that final and that five win season. Um, when guys like Deion Sanders and Barry Sanders and, oh and Derek Thomas yeah. were out there and you end up with Tim Worley, but you know, hmm. you know, we're okay. Um, but anyways, these guys, these two teams hated each other. It was a great rivalry. You know, the Steelers Ravens are tame compared to what Steelers Oilers was back in the late eighties. Yeah. Um, so couldn't stand each other. Throwing the fact that the Oilers beat the Steelers, what, how many times that year? They swept them. They beat them up. Uh, they beat them up pretty good at in Houston, and, and they won a pretty controversial game at, at Three Rivers uh, late in the year. So this Houston team, we talked about their head coach being controversial. Um, he, was, he was, like I said, he was a funny guy. He would leave tickets for Elvis, <laughs> um, claiming that Elvis was alive, and he would leave tickets at the box office. Um, and for different people all the time. Uh, he, was, he had pers- plenty of personality. Um, actually, he went to high school with a beloved Pittsburgher. Not a Pittsburgher, but a beloved Pittsburgh coaching legend, Jim Leland. I did not know that. In like Perry, Ohio, or Perryville, Ohio, or something like that. Um, but I, I read his book. He, he actually, his book was actually pretty entertaining. I, I read that as well. But when it came to the Steelers, I couldn't stand them. Um, they had that red gun offense with Warren Moon, and they scored a lot of points. They had a stifling defense that led the league in penalties. Those guys were just nasty. Yeah. Um, you know, 
the fact that these two guys despised each other trickled down to the team. Um, Bubby Brister, before this game, quarterback for the Steelers, says it's going to be a war. Well, Alonzo Highsmith declared it modern-day barbar- barbarism is a required attitude for the playoffs. Hmm. And welcome to the House of Pain. That's what they called the Astrodome. Not the Astrodome, the House of Pain. Do you, what do you remember about the House of Pain and how crazy it was to play there? Oh, it was. I remember it, it was one of the most iconic places in the in the history of the NFL. I think when, when people forget how how rabid and loyal Houston Oilers fans were in the '70s and the '80s, and and that's always a shame to see a, a franchise like that leave town. But but back in the heyday, especially once the Oilers got good again after their they had some down years in the, in the mid '80s. Once they got good again under under Glanville and that defense and, and that. that high-powered offense yeah it certainly was a house of pain for pittsburgh and for many years uh, during that period absolutely quarterbacking that gang of renegades we talked about it was a future hall of famer warren moon um this was a guy who won five gray cup championships in canada for the edmonton eskimos um absolute five championships never won a super bowl championship at his disposal was a foursome of dangerous receivers. Do you remember those guys? I bet you you could reel those guys off, Tony. Well, let's see. Hayward Jeffries, uh, Ernest Givens, Drew Hill. And the fourth name escapes me. But I definitely had, had nightmares about those guys and Warren Moon. They, they, uh, they, they, they gave me a lot of sad Sunday afternoons. Curtis Duncan was the other guy. Curtis he was probably Duncan, the lesser of the four. I think Hayward Jeffries was uh, – um, Drew Hill and Ernest Givens were, were the guys. Um, and Hayward Jeffries was, but he was pretty reliable. They had not only that, they had four dangerous receivers. When you could talk about the four running backs that they had, and they were all big names back then. Yeah. Alonzo Highsmith. If you remember him from the Penn State, um, Miami, that crazy fiesta bowl. Highsmith was just a, I mean, he was stacked. Yep. He was a good running back. Lorenzo White out of Michigan State, Alan Pinkett out of Notre Dame, and a former first-round draft pick, a first-overall draft pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers, of, excuse me, the Pittsburgh Maulers of the USFL in 1984, Mike Rozier was yeah. on that team. Absolutely. Man, and, Tony, those guys were good. And, and, and Mike Munchak was, was on that team as an offensive lineman, a future yeah. Hall of Famer. Uh, Bruce Matthews was on was a man. So they had, they were, they were Steinkohler. Yeah, they were, they were stacked that, that, uh, that Oilers offense was absolutely amazing. So I don't know about you, Tony. I was not really optimistic about this game. I was glad that they were there, but I just, uh, I knew what the Oilers did to them all year. I love Bubby. I like the idea of Tim Worley. I like Greg Lloyd on that defense. I loved Rod Woodson and Carnell Lake. Carnell Lake was a rookie, but I just didn't trust that game. I mean, I really didn't. Were you optimistic going to that game? Because I wasn't. I was, I was ex- like you, I was ex- excited. I was just honestly so just tickled to death that they were in the playoffs because it had been five years since the 84 season. And, and, as I mentioned in the first half of the show, they, they overcame such long odds just to get there, not only needing so many outcomes to go their way in, in the final weekend, but they, 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 they were losing out in the tiebreaker area. Every, every single tiebreaker you, could, you can mention, the divisional record, the, the, the conference record. I mean, so they, just to get there was, was amazing. And, and 
and coming off the the, the horrendous start and, and the horrific year the year before, I was I was excited, but I I didn't have a good feeling simply because they were playing on the road and and as I mentioned, they 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 were they were beating up pretty good in that era by by their fellow AFC Central rivals. You know, I did not get have a good feeling when uh, the Oilers took the opening kick and they had a 10-play drive, but luckily that stalled, and they sent out Tony Zendejas, and Zendejas was only 25 for 37 for the year, and they sent him out for a 56-yarder. People were stunned. Yeah, that was crazy. uh, That Glanville did that. It failed miserably. I mean, that thing went wide right. Set the Steelers up with good field position, but they weren't able to do anything with it, but just the fact that the Oilers did not get points was a pretty big deal when they dominated on that 10-play opening drive. Next drive, Oilers were forced to punt again. And guess what happens? Somebody who is still with the, still with the Steelers came up big. Do you remember that, Tony? I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Pitt's own Jerry Osavsky, who was a late-round pick that year, he, he came bur- bursting through the middle almost untouched pretty much and, and – uh, and, and block the punt and set the Steelers up. At, I think it was running to 33, if I'm not mistaken. But it was it was definitely a yeah. big a big turning point as far as momentum early early in that game. So they uh, had a couple plays there. They had a fourth and inches with 2:53 remaining in the first quarter. Pittsburgh gambled. Um, they they gambled and Tim Worley rumbled nine yards for a seven nothing Steeler lead. They could have went in with Gary Anderson and got the three, but nice gamble by Chuck Knoll paid off. And they're winning 7 nothing, and the first quarter is almost over. It's got to feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, in, in a weird way, that was kind of uncharacteristic of, of Chuck Knoll. He was, he was pretty conservative. And I remember in the, you know, going back to the 83 season, the divisional round against the Raiders, Early at the first, first, Pittsburgh's first drive, they had like a fourth and one, and they sent out. He sent out Gary Anderson and, and the announcer. I think it was I forget who it was. The, the color and analyst said, "said uh, this is this this tells the Steelers' offense that we cannot get one yard against the Raiders." So that was pretty uncharacteristic. And uh, as far as the worldly touchdown, you know, he was he had a propensity to for fumbling uh, his rookie year. I think he fumbled six times, seven times in a regular season. And when he dove over the goal line, I, I, I held my breath because I just thought yeah, maybe he, that, that ball would come squirting out. But it, it, was a, it was definitely a great moment in the game. And it did, and we'll get to that, too, get to that in a moment. Um, second quarter starts. Moon leads his team on a drive of 18 plays, <laughs> nine minutes off the clock. And it stalls at the nine-yard line, and they have to settle for a Zendejas uh, field goal of 26 yards. Um, the first play of the ensuing drive, Worley catches a pass in the flat, and he promptly fumbles. Yep. Bubba McDowell picks it up. Um, Steve Brown stripped him. It was Worley's sixth lost fumble of his rookie year. But luckily, they didn't get killed on this. Um, it only netted a chip shot from Zendejas. It's seven to six. But you, you can't be feeling good with that fumble and the fact that, you know, you had a seven nothing lead. They've been controlling the ball and they're only getting field goals. And you're like, what's going to happen when they, when they break out, Tony? Yeah. At one point, uh, I watched the game on YouTube over the weekend. And at one point early in the second quarter, NBC, who was doing the game, 
Dick Enberg was the play-by-play guy, one of my favorites, and, and uh, Bob Trumpy was the, the color analyst. And, and they, they talked about, they, they flashed the, the, the graphic uh, 14 minutes to three as far as time of possession or somewhere in that. It was just the, the, Unlike the, the the Denver playoff game a few years earlier, the, the Steelers' defense was more bend not uh, but uh, and not break in that game instead of really dominant. Well, towards the end of the half, the you know, Steelers get the ball back, and Merrill Hodge. They uh, they ran a really nice play. It looked like it was going to Worley. It goes to Hodge, and next thing you know, he's rumbling and stumbling for 49 yards. The drive ended up stalling at the eight-yard line. Gary Anderson, right before the half, kicks a field goal. It's 10-6, to six, and the Steelers have the lead at halftime. So that's the big deal there, and you're feeling a little bit better, Tony. But you just have in the – if you're like me, and like we just discussed, in the back of your mind, you're like, this, this team can score it well anytime they want. And I was worried about it. You too? Yeah, it was. It it definitely felt like the dam was going to break because, at the end of that first half, first of all, Pittsburgh's offense really, other than you know the Merrill Hodge uh, run that you mentioned, it really struggled in the first half to 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 move the ball. And and at the end of the first half, the the Oilers had a, a two to three or a two to one edge in time of possession, and that's you know playing at home, playing against in front of those rabid fans, you were just expecting. The Oilers to come out hot in the second half. They did not, though. There was actually little, very little scoring in the third. Um, plenty of action, though. That action included McDowell blocking a Harry Newsom punt that only earned them once again a Zendejas field goal. A field goal from 38 yards out from Gary Anderson to make it 13 to nine at this point. And then Dwight Stone, my buddy Dwight Stone. Um, stripped on a punt muff that yielded a, yielded a 48-yarder from Anderson to start the fourth. It was now 16-9 to in favor of the Steelers with one quarter to go. But we still, I mean, to continue the theme, Tony, we were not resting easy. Actually, if I, this is, I remember saying to my grandfather, my late grandfather at the time, who was watching a game with me, when, when it, the way they played through the first three quarters and have a, have a 16 to nine lead at that point, a touchdown lead. I felt, I felt pretty good. I felt like it was there. It was, they, they were going to, they were going to uh, seize control of the game in, in the fourth quarter. And as you're about to mention that, that was the, just the opposite happened. And you know what? So I'm going to let you cover that because they went off just like we were afraid of Houston goes off and Warren moon goes off. What happened? Well, they they the, right after Anderson made it sixteen to nine, the 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 Oilers drove right down the field and 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 Moon hit Ernest Givens uh, with a touchdown to tie it up, and then the Steelers get the ball back. They don't do anything, and Harry Newsom, I guess he, he was probably he, he was a really good punter in his day, but but yeah. he he, cert- he certainly had problems with 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 with, uh, with blocks the year before, and he had a block in this game, so you could tell he was he was hurrying. Uh, by this point in the game, and I think he got off a 25-yard uh, punt from his from near his own end zone, and the Oilers were set up with a premium field position, and they drove right down the field once once more, and it was Moon and Givens again, and and just like that, with about six minutes left in the game, the Oilers, who were down the entire game, Pittsburgh basically controlled the game as far as the scoreboard was concerned for for three and a half quarters, 
And the, the Oilers were up 23 to 16 with, again, six minutes to go. And they, they had to be feeling good at that point. Yep, they were seven-point favorites. They're up. Givens was amazing, like you said. He had 11 catches for 136 in those two scores. Um, that, that game, he was fantastic. Um, the the uh, pass catcher from Louisville was, was killing the Steelers' uh, defense, and a defense that had Carnell Lake, who right. had Rod Woodson back there. Um, mm-hmm. They were just – and Dwayne Woodruff. They were just destroying. Uh, he was just destroying them. And you got to worry when Warren Moon is heating up because you know how good Warren Moon is over the years. But the Steelers had Broadway Bubby Brister. There was actually a sign in the stadium, Broadway Bubby. His five sisters were there, all five of his sisters. And also somebody by the name of Mrs. Brister was there hanging out. And uh, she, she had a great week with uh, the – guys from NBC and she was a celebrity of her own right and uh there for Bubby as well and Bubby he didn't have the greatest day passing it was only 15 for 33 but he stepped up he really stepped up yeah um, so Brister like I said um he relied on a mix of passes and runs on then the ensuing drive most of the rushing yards were gained by Merrill Hodge who had 126 yards on the day he had another great week against Denver the next week um, who with 46 seconds remaining, he plunged in from two yards out, two yards out, 46 seconds left. They tie the game. Glanville was a guy who called both the offensive and defensive plays. He wasted a majority of the clock with runs. He went to passes with 14 seconds left on the regulations. Final play moon was stripped by Greg Lloyd. Lloyd raced towards the end zone was forced out at the one yard line. Yeah. But it didn't matter. I mean, we were going crazy. We were going nuts. We're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to win. We're going to yes. win. He could have very easily scored. But it didn't matter because the Steelers had 12 men on the field. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, how deflated were you? I was – I was uh, – I was one of uh, – to show you how, how much Chuck Noor really wanted this game and wanted to, to, to beat Glanville, his, his nemesis at, at that point. You know, you, you see that iconic image almost now of, of him screaming, get the bleep off the field over and over again to whoever was running off the field. And I he didn't do it. I don't know who it was either. I don't yeah, know. And, and he grabs his headset and just throws it on the ground. So, I mean, he, he, and then he says, you stupid son of a blah, blah, blah. You know, it was, uh, it just shows you how, how badly Chuck Noll wanted it at that point. So, and it's funny because, you know, you're going into overtime now with it, you just had a chance to win it. And uh, you're going into overtime. Of course, that 12th man could have changed things. Uh, maybe that play doesn't happen that way. Um, I don't think it did, though. But a team, a favorite like the Oilers are going, you just know they're going to win in overtime. And you know Cinderella, it's striking midnight. And Marv Albert announced NBC's TV lineup. And he was talking about the TV movie Goddess of Love to start immediately following the game. <laughs> and who starred in Goddess of Love, Tony? I don't remember, but but um, I, I, I went, White. I, yeah, that's right. Uh, thank you for correcting me. It wasn't Dick Edinburgh. Uh, it was Marv Albert. Marv Albert had me cracking up watching that game. He he had such a great deadpan sense of humor. But I, I went. I, thank you for correcting me. It wasn't Dick Edinburgh. Who was? I, I wasn't so, even try. I didn't even realize you said Edinburgh. I'm oh no, sorry. no. I, I I mean, you corrected me by a mistake, but or by accident. But yeah, I, I I forgot about Marv Albert. He was very entertaining in that game. So, 
it starts out, the Steelers win the toss. You're like, yes, they go three and out. Harry Newsom comes on to punt. The punt goes 26 yards. Zendejas starts warming up. It looked like Houston's going to win. Then you've got Rod Woodson. Hand off the ball to Lorenzo White, and Woodson rocked him. He also recovered the fumble that he forced. Yeah. And, and it, that, that play, I mean, that, that personified greatness because you see White, the, the, the other defenders sort of stringing White out, White, you know, and stringing the play while waiting for help. And out, out of nowhere, here comes Rod Woodson like a flash and just decks him. I mean, it was a hard shot. And then he, of course, recovered, recovered his own fumble. So it was one of, one of the greatest plays of his career. And who, know, who knew at that point he was going to go on to be one of the all-time great players in the NFL? Yes, so the House of Pain became the House of Silence. Three plays later, Gary Anderson does not come on for a cheap – he doesn't come on for a cheap shot, a chip shot, excuse me, or a cheap shot if you want to call it. (laughs) Um, It's a 50-yard attempt. How worried were you? I was I was actually pretty confident in him by that point, but uh, I I still didn't I, I still was fifty fifty overall that he would actually make it and and uh, when he when he judge because because they were they were uh, filming it from the 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 far end zone when he when he when he kicked it it wasn't uh, to me it, it wasn't obvious right away that it was gonna was gonna be good but of course it was. Yeah, my dad and I, we start jumping up and down with glee. My buddy Rob Clue was with me, getting ready to go out to the party um, that we were about to go to. And uh, we're just all jumping up and cheering. And it it was just really exciting. Um, That's the game that got Glanville canned. (laughs) The clock strikes midnight a week later um, against Denver. But this game remains a favorite of Steeler Nation, and especially you and I, for so many reasons. After my celebration with Dad ended, and Rob and I went to a house party to celebrate the end of a fantastic decade. Not going to lie to you, I'm 18. I got hammered. Hmm. Uh, I got blown off by what I thought was a sure thing. Then the party gets busted by Richland Township Police. Wow. <laughs> in Johnstown. So, I... I didn't care about any of that stuff. I still reveled in the fact that the Steelers were moving on after a great win, even though, Tony, I probably should have stayed home and watched Goddess of Love. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember what I watched after that game, but I do remember having this euphoric feeling the rest of the night. And it had, you know, we talked about the the Broncos game last week, but even that game, I, I was a lot younger, so maybe I wasn't appreciating it as much as I should have, but just... The first time watching the Steelers, I really felt this feeling, this this euphoria after a game, and it, it just I think it, it it's a it's a great example of how even they even though they didn't win it all that year, even though they they fell short the following week, as you said, there's something to be said for for just winning one playoff game and how that could bring, give you memories, as, as we talked about last week with the Broncos game, it it, it gives you memories that last a lifetime and. and uh, I'll, I'll never, for, for many w- for reasons, that was a difficult year for me personally. And, and that game kind of, kind of helped me get through it. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. That's what the Steelers do. That's what getting to fall into that fantasy world and forget about your problems and watch Steelers. I still do that now. 
um, I feel like I can get away. And I'm glad that helped help you get through a tumultuous year. And, yeah. you know, then you had a new decade ahead of you. Um, right. You had the 90s coming up, so that probably felt good too. So you probably felt really good that night. Um, like I said, I got blown off by, uh, by a girl at uh, th this party and uh, we got busted by the police. My parents never found out about that, so that's a good thing. My dad's gonna find out now, but what's he gonna ground me at 48 years old? Is he gonna ground me now? Doesn't matter. But um, it was just, it, it's that game that I can watch over and over, and it just feels good. And you, after this game, you felt maybe they can beat Denver, and they almost did. They really almost did. The next week they lost by, by one. But um, just fantastic. Tony was so great walking down memory lane, setting a drift on memory bliss with my good friend, Tony Defio. What do you think, man? Should we keep this going? I, I can't wait to talk about more of these kind of, this is, this is my thing. This is right in my wheelhouse. People, some people know cover three. I know memories. So I, I, I'm looking forward Same to with doing, me. yeah, I, this is, this is a, a fun time with you doing these shows. So I, I'm looking forward to doing more of these in, in the very near future, uh, week after week. Hey, that's why we've got film room guys like uh, Jeffrey Benedict. Lance always talked about watching film. Uh, me, I'm more of uh, the pop culture surrounding the Steelers. Absolutely. And just like you are. And this is the memories. That's what I really enjoy. So, Tony, you can take me away. I don't mind. But like Huey Lewis says, just get me back in time. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you next week, buddy. You too, man. Take care. All right, Steeler Nation, check out all of the shows on the BTSC family of podcasts. Um, tomorrow morning at this time, Jeff Hartman returns, and he's going to return with Let's Ride. Keep on hanging out with us, Steeler Nation. We love you.